This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high-performance culture. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome back to The Culture Code. Our guest today is the Chief People Officer at Neo4j, Kristen Thornby. Kristen, welcome. And where are you joining from today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, where it's 87 degrees in October. So that I <laughs> got back from Boston 10 o'clock last night. As a matter of fact, I was in um, the seaport area, which I learned is like the big tech and life sciences newest it area. It was beautiful weather. Lots of energy. I had a great meal. Is that the part of Boston you're in or? No, I live closer into like the Back Bay area and kind of closer towards Cambridge. But I have spent quite a bit of time there and I'm glad the weather was nice for you. In about a month, it would hurt your face to walk outside. So we get a quick ramp from 87 to 10. I actually already have business to be back in December. I will plan to hurt my face Yes, in December, but a lot glad. of scarves. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask, let's start at the beginning. Neo4j. Now, I'm not a gambling man, but if I had to bet, most people would not have heard of that company. So who are you guys? What do you do? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I am one of those folks that when I first heard of Neo4j, or I had not, I was not familiar with the company. I'm not a deeply technical person, so it's not a, a name I was familiar with. Though now that I've been here a while, I realize how Within the developer community, Neo4j is an incredibly well-known company. We even tried at one point to rename it to Neo Technology, and it just didn't work. Uh, Neo4j is, is who we are and what we're sticking with. But we're a graph database analytics company. I'm not the most technical person to describe deeply what it is that Neo4j does, but the real value is that we uncover hidden relationships within data and patterns across lots of different data points. It's been explained to me that the way our technology works is similar to how your brain processes data versus like kind of typical databases. There's rows and rows and rows of data. It finds the value between the connections in the data itself. Yeah. And so how big is the company? And give us some, since we're going to be talking about culture, kind of a hot topic right now is, you know, work from home, fully remote, hybrid, whatever. So how big is the company and where have you guys landed for now on that issue? Yeah, great question. So right now we're just a little bit over 800 employees, very much geographically distributed. The bulk, I would say kind of our highest concentrations are in Malmo, Sweden, where the company was founded, which is just about a 40 minute train ride from Copenhagen. Um, We have a pretty sizable amount of folks in London where we have an office. We also have an office in Malmo, I should have said that. Our headquarters is in San Mateo, California, though that proves to be very transient and remote in terms of office presence. And then the, the rest of, we have smaller offices, satellite offices, Stockholm, Munich, you know, various Singapore, and we're opening one in Sydney. But the bulk of the folks are in, as I said, Malmo, London, and San Mateo area. And we obviously went fully remote as everybody did. But Neo4j prior to COVID was already, I would say, don't, well, I guess you will quote me, but round <laughs> numbers, 50% remote before COVID. So I feel like we were set up really well to operate in that structure. I joined during the pandemic, which was really tricky as a people leader, uh, where you want to be around people. And my last company, I shared a desk with our CEO. So having a CEO in Sweden while I was sitting in Boston felt bizarre at first, but COVID made it, you know, proved possible that you can be effective remotely. And coming back from it, we really have 
remained it, kind of the way we were before. So people that live in the London area, Malmo, they still use the office quite heavily, but the rest of the company is relatively remote. And we never did go to like a mandatory back in office X amount of days a week. We sort of left it to the teams and the individuals to determine, you know, how often they would come back in. So we're still pretty remote. So I love when I have an opportunity to get together with employees, wherever it may be, because I'm, I sit in my office here by myself and I just want to be around people. So it's always fun for me to get to see folks. Yeah. When it comes to culture, obviously very successful company and, you know, de facto, very successful culture. And, you know, how would you describe it to an outsider? I would have to think it's maybe a little bit unique just with Swedish roots to all the way out to San Mateo. And like I said, even before the pandemic hybrid, like how would you describe it to someone like me? Yeah, I would say, I do think we have a really unique culture. And I feel like that's such a, something that probably every single person you talk to would say, but I think you sort of hit on it, which is the company was founded in Sweden. So our roots are very much like a Scandinavian Swedish type of culture, but then we migrated, you know, to the U S and the Bay area became our headquarters so we have this kind of unique blend of a Silicon Valley slash Swedish company. So it's really interesting because we have this very fast paced culture. We have a group of people who are, I think one of the things that sets us apart is very uniquely kind of unified and aligned around what we're trying to build. And you see it in everyday interactions. Like people are just jumping out of the woodwork to help each other across lanes, across functions to get what we're trying to do done. And I, I'm always amazed, even with my own stuff and people initiatives, I'm always amazed at the people that are raising hands and volunteering and want to jump in. So I think it's unique in that it's very like unique culture-wise because it's sort of this intense Silicon Valley mindset of like grow, 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 grow. But this Swedish roots, which is like very family-oriented. And there's, so we have this balance here that I've never really seen at any company I've worked in. And I, before I was in tech, I was in advertising, which is similar pace and the balance that I hate the phrase work-life balance, but the balance I would say that we have here is really fantastic. There's a lot of emphasis placed on people's lives outside of work as well. So while we're all, you know, running around with these and we're always connected, there's a lot of respect for people's time, time zones. No one's booking meetings at crazy hours without checking in and things like that. But I think besides that, when I think of Neo4j, it's incredibly transparent. We have an amazing CEO who I wish you would have an opportunity to meet at some point, but he's super people focused. And whenever we have our new hire orientations, one of the first things he says is his biggest goal is that this is the best job that people that work here ever have. So when you retire someday, you think back and say the best job I ever had was at Neo4j. And so for me, I'm in an amazing position as the people leader that I have a CEO that will really move mountains to make sure we're creating an amazing experience for our employees. So I get a lot of runway to do a lot of great work with my team to make this a fun place to work. Kristen, you're you describing the culture and this kind of blend of fast-paced Silicon Valley, you know, mm -hmm. blended with the Swedish sort of family-oriented, made me think of the, and this is really for more for our listeners, the competing values uh, framework for culture, which is like culture can be plotted on, are you internally focused or externally focused? Mm -hmm. And do you let people take a lot of risk or do you control? Is there a lot of controls? And a lot of, you know, it's fashionable to these days sort of say, stop saying we're a family, we're a team, you know, yeah. you don't fire your kids, but you can fire. I always you say that, you don't fire your family. So. Don't fire your family, you know, yeah. and, but it's not either or. I mean, most companies are in some ways like a family or a lot yeah. like a family or a little, but yeah. there's some elements and they're a lot like a team or a little. And you've described that it's not only one thing, you know, and 
it's okay to say like, it is possible to have fast startup. Plus we care about people, you know, sort of that family. Yeah. Feel. It's rare, but it's, it's, rare. Um, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. It is. And it's something I had never seen before. You know, yeah. it's, I was used to a very different type of dynamic, which was really more just like, go, 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 go. And sort of, if you take a day off, you're, you're lucky. Right. Um, but here there, there's room for that. And I just, I think, you know, just to touch on one of the things you said, we, I think people here get a tremendous amount of leeway with taking risk and trying new things. And I think with our technology growing as fast as it is, and now with entering into this whole era with like artificial intelligence, we're smack in the middle of all of that. And yeah. that in and of, in addition to what we were already doing, we now have even more opportunity to build what we were originally doing, I guess now in even different and bigger ways that's tied in much more closely with Gen AI and large language models and all of that. So we're really encouraging our employees to like lead with that, take the yeah. risk. If you have to step away from something you're working on the roadmap to go focus on something that we think is super connected to this Gen AI space, like let's do it, let's try it. Great. So there's a lot, it's really fun in that way. And I think it's true for most of our teams but I think it, if you talk to other folks within the company, I think that's true not only within our engineering team or our product team. I think you see that across all functions. I know that's true within my own team. Like if somebody's coming to the table with an idea that's completely off our what we create for our people roadmap for the year, and we think it's something that's going to create a better offering for our people or an ability to do something more exciting than what we were doing before, we jump in. So. There's Great. a lot of just energy and excitement at the company. And I think that's pretty palpable. And I, I don't, it's a, something you're going to expect me to say, but I think if you spoke to most folks around the company in different departments, you'd hear that as well. So Kristen, the, you've done a great job of describing the culture and what makes it unique, what makes it successful, but that doesn't happen by itself. You don't just, right. you know, randomly hire 800 people and they're all helpful and fast moving <laughs> and innovative. So how are you? How are you fostering and or sustaining this culture globally? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a really good question that we're asking ourselves all the time right now. Like that's my, if I wake up at three in the morning and I have insomnia and work stress, it's that. It's we're growing fast. So how do we keep what makes Neo4j so unique and special as we grow? We obviously can't hold on to everything that we were doing when we were 100, 200, 300 people. But what we're doing right now is really trying to think about what are the non-negotiables and the things that we will not let go of as we grow, but also acknowledging there are things that need to change. So we're kind of in a really unique time right now, but it really starts with, and I'll go back to Amal, our CEO. So given that he's so people-oriented, like from day one with three employees, you know, we started with a really people-centric culture here. And so I think, you know, people just really enjoy working here and we've got incredibly low attrition. I honestly thought during COVID, I kept waiting for that like great resignation we all read about and all of that, but people really like working here. We're building something really unique. The culture is great from a, you know, in terms of a fun place to work and it's very transparent. Everybody does truly have a voice here and I can get more into what I mean by that, but we're also building this incredibly cool technology. So even people that aren't technical at work here love working at a company that's going to be in this, I'm not making this up. It's out there if you Google it, but that, that NASA has, which is one of our customers has declared, we're going to put humans on Mars two years earlier than we would have because we're using Neo4j for that. There's just all these incredible customer stories that are so interesting that people are psyched about. So yeah. we have the benefit of just doing cool stuff in addition to kind of creating a fun place to do it. I love it. I always say all else being equal, people would rather work for a purpose than a paycheck. The pay has got to yeah. be fair. The pay has got to yeah. be, got to be competitive. 
But yeah. then you jump out of bed when you're helping humans, you know, in space, you know, right. it's like yeah, all of a sudden like, there's trying to find cures for cancer. I mean, there's really, exactly. I think there's so many user stories that are incredible. And I will say, and probably former colleagues of mine will hate me for saying this, but my, a lot of my career was spent in advertising and we were not making the world a better place. One ad at a time, probably the opposite. So I wasn't programmed to look for a company that was like mission-based or doing like work that was making the world a better place. So I sort of stumbled into it here and realized it after I joined. And the more I would sit in on meetings with Emil or just really any folks within the company and hear these customer stories and the way they're using the product, I'm just kind of blown away by that. And I'm finding with recruiting, that's more valuable sometimes than, you know, even the the compensation. We're doing mm-hmm. such cool work and that's very appealing. I want to ask you about what you're doing for frontline manager training, leadership development. Mm-hmm. I, I love the topic because research suggests 70% of employee engagement, the variance in engagement is tied back to your manager. You know, the old line, yeah. you join a company, you leave a boss, leave a bad boss. Yeah. But 800 people roughly mm-hmm. in your organization I'm guessing you have, I don't know, 150 people leaders, give or take. Yeah. And they're so critical to culture. Yeah. But in my experience, most companies that have less than a thousand people, they don't really have the budget or the headcount to do a lot of leadership or management training. Am I wrong? You are not wrong. <laughs> With everything you said, my I my always have that cheesy line of like, people leave managers, not companies. And I say that all the time yeah. and anytime I can um, here at Neo4j. But so you nailed that one and you're right. It's not you know, we don't have a big, robust L&D department at our size. You know, we don't have someone on my team that's a career, you know, leadership development coach. So you have to kind of make do. And that's, that is really, you know, we'll probably get to this, but when we talk about where am I most focused right now and what's most important kind of right now and looking to next year, it's leadership excellence for us. And it's kind of above all else. That's what I'm really focused on. And what our leadership team's focusing on is how do we enable these managers to make sure that they're developing their team's careers in the best way they can? We have, you know, a lot of early in career people here that are very, very curious about what their career path here would look like. So we spent a lot of time over the last year or so designing kind of the, the core competency models, the functional competencies to really show these career paths. But then it's like, okay, so we build it, but now what do we do with it? And we have to make sure we're enabling our managers and our people leaders to understand how to talk about career development how to provide the opportunity, not only for their folks that need development, but the high performers too. They often get overlooked. You, know, you sort of take for granted these superstars, but we want to continue to provide for them as well to keep them engaged and growing. So we spent a lot of time this past year on leadership excellence. I did find an external partner to help with this. And it's something that I've been looking for. And I'm sure my, any colleagues of mine that might listen to this or read at some point would agree. It's a really tough one because it's so hard to find consult at our size. I mean, you don't have it internally. So to find a consultant or an outside partner that really gets your company. You can have a million brown bag lunches on how to have a tough conversation and people walk away and in one ear out the other. But we engaged with it. it took, so for probably eight years, I've been really looking for how to do this and how to find the right partner. And I don't think you get a lot of opportunities to get it right when you start trotting in outside consultants. So we found a consultant that we've been working with who's terrific. And we've started this past year at our VP level with a pretty intense leadership development training program there. And the reason we started with the VPs is obviously then they could start putting some of these things into practice. 
with the leaders beneath them as well. And then now we're going to keep going kind of to the next level, people leaders beneath that group. But what we did, I think that was, that made it work was we spent a lot of time having these folks inside the company. So talking to current managers, talking to individual contributors, focus groups, and really finding out what we need at Neo4j and where our managers most need help. And so that's where we focused and curated the curriculum around. And, you know, it's slow and steady, but to me, if we don't have great people leaders here that can develop careers in a way that's going to align with what our employees need, they're not going to stay no matter how cool the work is. Eventually, you know, someone's going to leave if their manager's not, you know. Well, I like that you're being thoughtful about it and taking your time. Yeah. You know, I think very often people will just, I don't want to name them, like there's two or three third-party training programs. It seems like every manager encounters at some point and they've been out there for literally 50 years now. And it's like, oh, we need training. Go buy that program, put everybody through the one-day workshop or maybe the two-day workshop, and then we're done. You know, they move them through. And of course it doesn't stick, the knowing doing gap. And it might not even be appropriate for their company or their culture. So it's nice that you're doing it, you know, top down and very thoughtfully. Yeah. Um, Tell me, tell me about gathering feedback. Like your company is successful there. Mm -hmm. I believe then that means culture has to be, you can't have a dysfunctional culture and successful business outcomes for long. You can in the short term, but not the long term. So you know what's right, but how are you measuring it? Are you, you doing the traditional employee voice surveys or other things? Uh, It's a mix. I have always been a little bit allergic to engagement surveys for one reason, which is it oftentimes gives employees the sense that whatever they put in the survey, they're going to, you know, that changes what they're going to see. And it it often can give people, this is just my experience. It can often give people a sense of sort of higher expectations or the sense that we're, we're going to overpromise and underdeliver. It just, I don't love them, but I actually, we did go ahead and started to post COVID. We're doing twice a year employee engagement surveys. Once is like the, a big kind of more robust survey and then a kind of a pulse check mid-year. So we're doing that. And we do town halls every month where we have, we use um, a technology called Slido, which you may be familiar with, yeah. but it's an unmoderated opportunity for people to ask questions. So initially, I think we started before I joined, people had the option to ask anonymous questions. And we took that away. So we really, really pushed transparency at Neo4j. Yeah. So now our time hall questions are not anonymous and we don't moderate them at all. So anything goes. And we always kick them off by saying, whatever you, you know, ask us anything. And if we can answer you, we will. There's yeah. oftentimes, not often, once in a while, there's like, you know, an HR related question that we can't answer that. But yeah. if we can talk about it, and if we can answer it, we absolutely will. So I think that's a good one. And then my team too spends a lot of time and it's kind of part of our process doing a lot of like smaller group, one-on-one and then smaller group feedback sessions. We're also doing a lot of moderating of feedback sessions with leaders. So the leaders will ask their teams to come together, have a live feedback session. My team, someone from my team will typically be there to moderate. And then the leader leaves and then we continue the conversation So there's a lot of those kinds of things happening. There's the surveys, there's the town halls, but we generally just have this very open culture. Again, it may be the Swedish thing, but like Emil was meeting every finalist for every position we hired up until about a year ago, we finally had to like cut it. But we don't, so he wants to make a relationship and get to know every employee. So I think because of that, people feel comfortable. And sometimes it's not the most fun. Like they feel a little too comfortable sometimes. (laughs) Just like letting the feedback rip, but it's helpful. It's a gift to us. We want to know what people are thinking and 
And it's hard when we don't know, you know, we're, I should know we're going through culturally a bit of a transformation right now, as we go with, as every company does, as you go from a bit of a smaller company to a fast growing company, that's getting bigger and bigger. I referenced it earlier, but one of the challenges with that is that some of the folks that have been here from the beginning and some folks that were amazing from, you know, an early point of company to a certain stage, they're not the people that are necessarily going to get you to the, you know, where our end game. Yeah. Um, or there's no end game, I guess, but to, you know, kind of the next level. Yeah. The next yeah. level. Right. And so it's really hard when we have to have those conversations with incredibly talented, brilliant people who have been super loyal and been at the company a long time. So we're bringing in some new leaders and some folks that have been here a long time, there's change happening. And I think that can get uncomfortable for people. So right now we're really trying to lean in on like open dialogue, people like really understanding how they're performing. I'm trying to push the, you know, radical candor is one of my favorite sort of methodologies of how to think about it. And I think with some of our employees, even especially outside the US, I think the ruinous empathy component of yeah. radical candor can come into play where yeah. you just feel so bad giving feedback that you hold it back. And we're trying to flip the script on that and really underscore that feedback. You know, the kindest thing you can do is to let someone know how they're performing versus leaving them, you know, not knowing. So we have a lot, we talk a lot about you know, performance and, and we get feedback kind of both ways from people. So back to kind of my team and our group meetings that we're having with people and one-on-ones with employees, we get tons of data. Kristen, you just described me like my worst leadership trait, especially when I was in my thirties. I'm, I'm, okay. I've overcome it as an old guy now, but yeah. uh, I am so agreeable personality wise yeah. that I would just withhold feedback like crazy. Hard. And back when I was young and dumb, it was always like, <laughs> oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings right. or they're on a deadline. I don't want to distract them or they're yeah. my most valuable employee. I don't want to disengage them by giving them right. this feedback. Right. Meanwhile, they're all wondering, like, does Cruz even care about me? Like, he's not giving right. me any feedback. I'm not advancing in my career. How am I supposed to get better? Yeah. And, you know, as you said, it's corny, but feedback is a gift. It's a gift it for their is. career. It, it shows that you care. It's giving them attention. Yeah. The silence is the problem. You it's know, hard. It's hard. And we have, you know, one of the things I love about our company is it's really rooted in kindness. Like we have an incredibly kind employee base, incredibly kind CEO, and it's hard to get people, you know, comfortable with hurting someone's feelings potentially yeah. or bumming them out. I don't love it. You know, yeah, I don't no one it. wants to. It's give not fun. <laughs> I feel bad. You know, right. Kind of. But then you, I think there's just ways in my team, and I try to be really helpful coaching people in those conversations. There's ways to give the feedback that's doesn't come off as harsh and negative. Yeah. I think some people are so uncomfortable, they just blurt it out and then <laughs> it feels harsh. But if you can think about it in a way that's, you know, constructive and productive, it can be very much appreciated when you kind of do it in the right way. So we do spend a lot of time coaching managers on how to do it, but mostly it's like, we have to do it. Just get yeah. it out somehow and we'll yeah. clean it. If it's kind of messy, we'll clean it up after the fact, but like people really do know where, need to know where they stand. And it's hard, it's hard for everybody. Yeah. Not to make this whole podcast about feedback, but right. you triggered another idea, which is, I think, I mean, cause I think this could be helpful for a lot of, I think it's a common yeah. problem. So helpful for a lot of managers. The thing yeah. I try to remember and tell others is constructive feedback is uncomfortable when it doesn't happen that often. So it's like, yeah. I don't say much to you. And then all of a sudden six months go by and then I'm zinging you with something. Okay. We're both a little uncomfortable about it. If every single week in a one-on-one, -on -one, we're talking about, hey, red light, green light, what went great in the last week? You know, here's something I noticed you did, which is really awesome, like positive feedback, you know, like let that flow as well. And hey, by the way, I noticed you did this one thing. 
I think you could have done it better in this way. If all of a sudden it's a mutual conversation about, hey, lean into this because it's really good. Hey, I think you could have done this better or here's something you might want to think about. Exactly. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that hard of a conversation. It's not that hard. When it's routine, when it just happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but if you're not doing it regularly, you're right. And I don't know if you, I mean, totally, I don't know if this happened to you, but I have, have memories like PTSD when I think about it from performance reviews where I'd walk into it, I have no idea what my manager was going right. to say. Like we haven't talked about it performance in a year. Yep. Like, I think I did pretty well, but you never know what you're going to get hit with. Yep. And to me, that's like the worst. And I talk about that a lot at Neo4j with managers and with employee, like individual contributors. Like you never want a surprise. You always want to know. And I, in my perfect world, we would never be surprised if someone's going to resign. We would never be, no employee would be surprised if it's not working out. That's right. You know, they're actually going to get fired out of the blue. And I think, so the more we can have these conversations, you're, you nailed it. And our, our performance management process is really centered around the conversation. It's not about writing these big, long reviews. It's not, it's just, let's talk. And the, you know, the one-on-ones and all that, but you're so right. I mean, it's just, it's the worst when you walk <laughs> into those, like having no idea. Kristen, you've covered a lot already from the focus on the conversations, the new leadership development, starting at the top, et cetera. But are there any other initiatives or programs that you wanted to share something you might be proud of or happy with the results with? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest one right now that I'm focused on is around this like leadership excellence, we're calling it. And I was really glad that we were able to get that off the ground in this past year. And now, as I said, we're going to be building on it for next year as well. But I'm also one of the things I'm really, really proud of and excited about for us is before I joined, our people function was split geographically. And over the last year or so, we've come together as a global team. So our recruiting function, for example, set up globally supporting functions. And with that, we've done a ton of interview training and a ton of work around just, I guess, interviewing skills and skill training. So I feel like what our candidates are experiencing now is night and day from where we were. Because of that, we have an amazing global leader of talent acquisition um, who's done a tremendous job. And then on that, I prefer to call HR people strategy. And for me, that's more the business partner side of things. I really feel like it's what we do is so important to the business itself. It's not kind of old school personnel department type of thing. Like we're really deeply embedded with our business partners or business leaders rather. And they rely on our team in a big way. So we also have just now realigned that team to be set up by function as well. So we have, we're super lucky to have a VP on my team who's been at Neo4j. I think she was employee 10. She's based in Sweden. So she knows this place inside and out and she's leading people strategy for our R&D function. And then we have a phenomenal person who's based in the U.S. doing the same for go-to-market. So I feel really, it seems like a, a weird thing to say, but I feel really proud of sort of the way we've set up our team and the, the value that I see that we're providing to our business leaders. So more than any company I've ever seen, our team has a voice, voice at the table, kind of a corny thing to say, but truly like it's always a quick text. Can I get some advice? And not just me, to my team, they like really value the advice before they make any big decisions within their department, organizationally, structurally, whatever it may be, offsite planning. They rely so heavily on our team, on my team for all of that. And that makes me feel really proud because that's not always what I, the way I've seen sort of traditional HR teams partnering with the business. So that partnership is something that's hard to explain, but if you see it in action, it's something I'm super proud of. And then the way we've set up the team to align with the business, I think is something that's been working really well. Kristen, this is a short format podcast. We don't have a lot of minutes left, but I want to hit you yeah. with some more uh, 
fun and faster questions before awesome. I let you go. Imagine you could send any book or podcast or other piece of media to all your colleagues and they were guaranteed to read it, take it to heart or listen to it or whatever. What would you send everybody? The culture map. The culture map. Yeah. I don't work for the company, but I happen to have the book right here. It's an amazing book. If it's a company, so for us, this would be the one because we we're so geographically dispersed. And I think the thing about this book that's tremendously helpful is it really shines a light on the fact that, you know, we all join a company and just sort of assume that people from all over the world are going to work harmoniously together and everything's going to work out just fine. That is so not true. And this book does an incredible job of just kind of going across the globe and talking really about specific ways that different cultures and different people show up at work and how to understand what different ways of communication, people communicate, what it means and how best to you know, what door to go through when you need to get a specific message across to someone in Japan versus Sweden versus the US. And it's amazing. I keep it here because I'm always referencing it and looking back to it. But if everyone in my company would read that, I would be thrilled. Yeah. I think again, for the listeners, even if your company isn't global itself, I mean, yeah. if you have customers from around the world and who doesn't these days, right? Yeah. So it's so everybody, every company is a global company. This yes. is probably the single most important book that you could read, Aaron Meyer, The Culture. In my Man. opinion, yes. Yeah. It's magic. Yep. So you've been a chief people officer for a little while now. What's something that maybe you wish you knew on day one that you didn't? You know, like if you could write a letter to the younger version of results yeah. and say, hey, look out for this or keep this in mind. What would you say? Yeah. Well, your last question was a great segue to this one because it's related. So for me, I came into it very naive to how deeply different cultures can be. My last company prior to this was headquartered and founded in Tel Aviv. And I spent a ton of time in Israel, side note, but like fell in love with that country, culture, the people, just amazing. But it's interesting, and this is going to sound like this kind of an ignorant American thing to say, but like they seemed really American when I met yeah. them. Like they got, they all speak English. They get all the jokes. They're every, they know our government, our pop culture, our like, so I rolled in there, you know, thinking this is great. You know, I know how to do this. And it didn't take too long before I realized like, whoa, it's actually like, that's such an ignorant perspective. And I wished I had known, like, I wished I had read that book from day one. I wish someone would have handed it to me, but I think it was just, I wish I knew more about how communication styles and what when people say say something, it can mean something a bit different. It's not the same as the way we talk about things and they don't mean the same things the way we say them. So I think for me, it was that. It was really, I went, or I just, I guess I wish I would have known or had more understanding for how deeply different cultures can impact the way people show up at work and the way you need to communicate with them. So, and I think the dovetail quickly off that is just, I wish I had known earlier on the importance of really spending the time to understand communication styles mm -hmm. and personality types and how the communication styles really need to be kind of tailored to those individuals. So when you talk about personality styles, are you using that term loosely or do you have a favorite personality assessment tool that you like to use MBTI or a Hogan or a disc yeah, or a, anything? It's a great question. I love the Enneagram, but I also actually love, I'm going to do a big plug here for a company called the Predictive Index. Yeah. which is, I don't, I mean, I don't understand how this works, but it's two questions. And we used it at my last company for every hire we made and it was never wrong. It was never wrong. And you were kind of categorized by letters. So you'd be like an A, B, C, D. And with sales, we wanted people to be what we call a high A, 
which is like these go-getter salespeople. And every so often we'd see someone who was a low A, but they seemed like a high A. So like, mm-hmm. let's hire them. I think the test is, or the assessment's wrong. They didn't last more than six months. It's amazing. So I don't, I'm not here to make plugs for Aaron Meyer and the culture map <laughs> index, but I find the Enneagram fascinating. And I, I think the predictive index is just really an amazing tool. So I love that one as well. So I want to, again, for the listeners, I'm a fan of predictive index and know those folks. And there's so many assessment tools out there. Mm-hmm. What I encourage people to realize is, but there's two groups. There's those that are actually, it's like, it's illegal to use them for selection and promotion, right? Yes. And so yeah. DISC, MBTI, Enneagram, yeah. et cetera, you yeah. cannot. And in yeah. fact, you know, we're a partner with most of those and they make you yeah. say, you're not supposed to call it a personality assessment. It's a behavioral style. That's and absolutely you right. cannot, you write a, sign a paper, you will not use it for hiring selection. Right. Then there's assessments that have been validated for selection. Yeah. And though it's because yeah. they're based on the classic five-factor model of personality, predictive yeah. index is one. And yes. so predictive index, Hogan, Mm-hmm. Leadex Big Five, the five-factor model, et cetera, like they're harder to interpret. They're longer yeah. to take. But if you really want that snapshot of personality, you use one of these validated ones. The other ones are like nice to have a conversation about, but the yeah, other ones I are agree. really pure. And we tried not to use the PI as a screening, like a real screening tool. It was just something we'd ask people to do to try to better understand who they were yeah. and And we went pretty deep with it because it has all these functions where you can then as your man, here's how to best manage Kristen based on her, you know, like, and how you can meet her needs at work. And when Kristen's in distress, here's the best way to, you know, talk with her. So we found it super useful, but I agree with you. Yeah. So it's help. It is helpful. That's great. Last question. There's so much exciting stuff going on in the world right now. You talk about Neo4j really being in the middle of all the big data plus gen AI, et cetera. I mean, what are you most excited about with the company right now? That is such a good question. I'm excited just to kind of see where we go with this. Like as it's funny, as we're, I'm not going to look because I won't double task. I'm trying to do that. But as we're talking, I just saw a Slack message pop up from our executive team where there's there's some big (laughs) event going on right now, I think with Google. And we talk a lot about how this big partnership we have now with Google it's that stuff. It's like these bigger companies and are that are really, really deep and all the stuff are seeing Neo4j as like a super valuable partner and they're coming at us and wanting to work with us. And that's really exciting to me. And I think just this, the pace that we're growing, the opportunity, kind of the market opportunity, I guess that's that that would be the headline for all of it. Yeah. It's ours to go get. And I love the challenge. I'm a builder and I, it gives me so much energy and I, So it's the challenge. It's all out there for us to go grab. And it's just a matter of now executing and doing it. And like, that's super exciting for me. That's brilliant. I'm excited just from your enthusiasm, you know, talking about it. it. (laughs) Kristen Thornberry, Chief People Officer at Neo4j. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your time and wisdom with all of us today. This was so fun, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Cineos Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at leadx.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? 
We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting-edge platform and world-class training. We blend together world-class cohort-based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro-learning, and on-demand office hour style coaching. Go check it out at leadx.org.